opportunity to call up a very near and dear friend of mine. James, come on up. This man, yeah. It's been a blessing in my life, as I believe it has been a blessing in the lives of those of you who have known James, or, and it will be a blessing for those who, who are getting to know him, to watch God grow this man from, uh, from an outspoken atheist to a, greater, uh, to a greater degree an outspoken Christian. And has, he is developing you as a man and as a father and as a brother in the Lord. I just want you to know that God has used you to bless me. I'm fully anticipating that he's going to use this message to bless us and to grow us. And remember that these sermons here are not the final word. They are the beginning of the conversations that we have. As James teaches us, then we talk and we teach one another. Amen? Amen. Are you going to open with a word of prayer or do you want me to pray for you? Go ahead and pray for me. All right. Father, we thank you that you are a very personal, intimate, loving God. You are familiar with all of our sufferings, Lord. There is nothing that we experience in this human life that you're not familiar with. The author of Hebrews says that we have a great high priest who knows. Father, not only are you familiar with our struggles, but you took victory in your life, in your death, in your resurrection, in your ascension, and in your exaltation. And then you did even more by sending your spirit into the world to convict it of sin and to tabernacle in us. And to give us gifts, God, gifts that the spirit gives accordingly as he sees fit, gifts that are irrevocable. And today, Father, I'm not only grateful for this body, I'm thankful for this man who is going to exercise the gifts that you gave him, Father, today to feed your sheep. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless him and that you would bless us. And, Father, that we in return would bless you for all that you have done and that you, all that you are doing currently in us. Father, we love what you're doing. We might not always understand it, but, Father, we trust you and your process. So, God, bless James this morning as he blesses us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. How are y'all doing? For those who don't know me, my name is James. Um, hey, baby girl. <laughs> and um, I think I know most of you guys here, um, but as Matt was explaining, um, I was once an outspoken atheist, um, and that was about six years ago, almost. And uh, the Lord has, you know, taken a hold of me. And it's kind of strange, because really, when I think about, as I stand up here, um, it's kind of surreal that I am um, someone who has been teaching the Bible for about four years. It's really weird, you know? So I started out uh, not really into the Christianity thing or religion or the church, um, but my mother has always prayed for me. She's actually here today. Um, yeah. Filming me, I guess. That's cool. And I just want to say, if there's any parents who are uh, unbelieving children, just keep on praying. Um, I, was, I would never say I was a rebellious kid, but I definitely wasn't feeling the church stuff for a long time. Um, and so it is, I like to say God's ironic um, in a lot of ways. Um, I'm sure he, uh, sometimes, I don't know, this is my, my messed up theology. I always imagine he's sort of laughing like, see, ha, you were against me now, look at you. Okay, yeah, what can I do? So uh, this is really exciting for me because this is actually my first Sunday sermon. 
Um, many of you know I you know, was a youth pastor. Um, I a small group leader of several small groups. Uh, many of you rem uh, remember I helped lead on chain with our friend John Imperial. Um, you know, and I, uh, even though Lonnie Ridgeway, many of you know, is not here, I, I do want to thank him because he's the one who helped sort of lead me to Christ. And I think that's amazing. So reach out to your friends. Keep on praying. We never know. I was probably the most, I don't, none of you knew me before my old ways, right? So if you ever, if I ever uh, see like an old Facebook post come up, maybe I'll share it for you can see just how much I dislike the church and Christianity. Those, uh, those per posts were terrible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but God is really good. And what's really funny to me is that I've always been someone who publicly spoke um, professionally for about 10 years. While I look like a very um, young 22-year-old, I don't know if that's right or not, I have been professionally uh, speaking for about 10 years with a, my minor in communication, um, someone who's worked for a couple different nonprofits um, and other organizations, and I have always been really good at fundraising. Um, so I've done a lot of speeches, and now here I am um, using that gift to honor God. And it's like you never know what God's going to do in your life that leads you to this moment. Because I can tell you, when I thought about my life at 18, I never thought, you know, maybe I'll like preach or be a pastor or something. That was not it at all. All right, so... Uh, first, I do want to thank two people in particular. I really want to thank uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Brent. Um, being a pastor is such a heavy weight, and we should be really thankful that we have people who are just dedicated um, to make this church run. I, I think the founding families who had a vision for this church, and I just thank all of you for joining me today. Um, I think it's really great that we come together to learn about God, to have a conversation, to teach, to preach, to sing, to worship. Um, these things edify us. Um, I might have a controversial take here, but I really believe that the uh, purpose of the church is not community service. Um, it's not social justice. It is not um, any of those things. It's not even charity. Those things flow out of the gospel. But in fact, it is the uh, teaching of the word and being present at the Lord's table and the edifying the saints. And it's one of our greatest gifts um, that some theologians call the ordinary uh, uh, means of grace. And today um, we get to experience that. And I think it is the greatest purpose of the church. Um, sometimes I see people, they criticize the church for not doing this and not doing that. We do a lot, but on Sunday, we are here to honor God. That is like full stop. That's what we're here for. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that wasn't very controversial because y'all are saying amen to it. So um, now as I was preparing this sermon, this, this is really hard. I am usually a really good writer. Not, not to toot my own horn, but I am good at writing and I am good at preparing. But this took me almost four months to prepare because I kept getting stuck. I kept getting stuck. And I've written other things since March and it's uh, almost, it, it's almost August, right? And uh, this is really good. I text a friend. I was like, hey, um, I'm really struggling with this. And I want to just uh, tell you what she texts back to me because it's kind of like funny, but also like you should get friends like this. And she said, pray about it. Put 20 to 30 minutes aside 
and sit down and ask God to put your personality and ego aside and ask for guidance of the Holy Spirit to show you scripture. And I was like, oh, first I read it kind of mean. I was like, oh, okay. But she was right. <laughs> and last week we got to hear Ethan preach about hearing from God. And that was really good. I was really inspired by that. Um, and it actually inspired this sermon. So this is how God, I think, works, right? Because I was struggling. I actually written like almost three sermons preparing for this on different topics. And I was like, oh, I can use those later because I think they're pretty good, my opinion. Um, but he actually inspired me a lot. And if you haven't heard it, when it goes on YouTube, I highly suggest listening to it or talk to Ethan after the service because I think it's profound. Um, but I was talking to Ethan last week after, and he... Um, he was like, uh, just prayed for me, and he sent me his manuscript to sort of help me maybe write my outline a little bit as I was stuck. And I was reading over it, thinking about what he said, I actually came to something. So I think this sort of connects, maybe it doesn't, but I, I think it connects to what Ethan wrote last week. And, and what I want to talk about is how to fight against the lies, deceit, and the half-truths that we are constantly, constantly bombarded with. So I uh, wrote four titles, and you guys can tell me which one you like. <laughs> First title, How to Fight the Devil and His Minions Masterclass. <laughs> Not bad. Second title, Skillshare, Defending Lies with the Bible. And third title, and I think the older millennials would get this. If you get this meme, I'll give you a high five after church. Why you always lying, Satan? <laughs> A lot of people got that. I'm proud of y'all. But, you know, those titles are a little silly. So let me give you the real title. So, Brent, when you title this on YouTube, um, the title is The World, The Flesh, and The Devil. Y'all say that with me. Say The World, world. The flesh, flesh, and The Devil. Yeah. Now turn to your neighbor and say, sometimes church can get a little weird. Now, I know y'all don't go to like more of those kind of Baptist churches, so that might be a little hard for y'all, but I need y'all to follow up with me here, all right? I need y'all to shout me down. But the point of this phrase, if you've never heard of it, the world, the flesh, and the devil is a theological concept. And those familiar with church history, I know everyone here is like really theological. It came from St. Thomas Aquinas. Why'd you laugh, Siobhan? <laughs> church is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It is a little weird. We're, we, love, we love theology here. And so this term, the world, the flesh, and the devil, even if you've not heard of it, you probably will understand this as I, as I go on with it. Because I think this is a big deal. You might not find that direct saying like in Scripture, but it's found throughout it. And it's very important that we understand these concepts of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, depending on your church tradition, many of you are familiar with this term, spiritual warfare. Now, that can mean very different things to different people, right? For more of our uh, like Catholic brothers and sisters, which I consider them brothers and sisters, they think of maybe like almost an exorcism. Like the Catholic church still does exorcisms. A priest comes in, holy water, I assume a, cr you know, a cross, maybe maybe a vampire stake, and they exercise the demons, right? 
For our more charismatic brothers and sisters, maybe think of like deliverance ministry, laying of hands, someone coming up, oil on the forehead, you know, things like that. Like I've experienced that. And, and for some people, it's this idea of like the spiritual creatures that are purposely attacking you. Now, some people, I think, think uh, everything's spiritual warfare, right? Um, someone's like has a argument with their wife driving to church and they're like, Satan made me do it. And it's like, nah, you're being a jerk to your wife, man. You know, I, I think the, the warfare is with you. Maybe you do need the oil. I, I don't know, you know. But, but this whole idea is that there actually is a battle. Like, there's actually these spiritual creatures. There's this, there's this darkness that, like, takes over the world that actually wishes to destroy you. And, and one of Satan's most favorite tactics is lies. Lying is one of his favorite things. And, and, and this is all over. This is the world we live in, our society. This is ourselves. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I lie to myself, right? And then actual demons. So I want you guys, let's see if we can do this better. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're fighting demons today. <laughs> Almost. It's still not there, though. So I want to first just sort of take each concept and explain it, and then I'm going to teach you guys how to fight against the lies that exist in the world. So this first idea, what exactly is the world? We, we say that a lot in church. We don't want to be worldly. That is of the world. But, but what is that? I, I never understood that until recently, because I would hear that all the time. My mom's always like, you listen to worldly devil music. <laughs> okay? I don't know what that means, mom, but... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so I want to start with, uh, let's start with scripture. I'm just going to do, um, this is going to be like a survey of this idea. It's not going to be super in-depth, but I think you guys will at least get the basics down. So can you turn your Bibles to Romans 12.2? And Brandon, can you read Romans 12.2 for me? Romans 12, verse 2. <laughs> Might be spiritual warfare. <laughs> That's all right. I will read it for you. So, uh, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is actually a quite common verse for a lot of people. And I think it kind of gives you an idea of how to fight against the worldly ideology that we are all a part of. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, pastor, philosopher, says this, the world is the social and historical organization of evil in which the midst of which we all live. If you find that language not super helpful, because I think Dallas Willard can sometimes be a little too philosophical, philosophical um, they are systems, right? They are embedded in our nations, our countries, our businesses, our media, political parties, 
all of them, gonna trigger someone there, political ideologies, economic systems that thrive on evil. Now, all these things are not evil in themselves, right? There's nothing necessarily evil about the news media, maybe, but it is propelled by a way of thinking that actually allows for evil to prosper. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins of which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I love that verse because I think that explains what we're talking about here, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This world is an elaborate system. It's both intentional and not, right? Um, A lot of us actually are part of it without even thinking about it. And what makes it so appealing, though, is that it gives us what our minds and our bodies actually desire. These systems... These messages are telling us what the good life actually is. Whether it's your country, whether it's your favorite TV show, a book, etc., it's constantly telling you lies and half-truths of what the good life is. I was just re-watching um, That 70s Show. One of my favorite shows as a kid growing up, which is interesting because when that show came out, I was in the fourth grade, Think about the messages I was getting from that. It's still funny. Like, God help me. It's a funny show. But there's so much about partying, sex, drugs. And as, as a 10 or 11-year-old, I'm looking at that. I'm like, oh, that's how high schoolers live? That looks like a good time, right? We see this even in the music. Uh, you know, I'm 34 almost, so I grew up in, like, the 90s and early 2000s, early 2000s coming of age, right? And I love rap music, which is why my mom always called it uh, worldly music, right? Which, which it is. Like, I see why my mom, at the time, didn't like us listening to that stuff, because I was actually having those messages being part of me, Right? I think about a lot of my favorite rappers, Tupac, Biggie, Kanye West, Jay-Z, all that stuff, man. They're, they're, they might be different in their way they style or their cadence, how they rap, all those things there, but they're kind of all giving the same message, right? Money, clothes, girls, right? Those things there. And when you're young and impressionable, you don't really realize maybe why your parents don't want you listening to that. I didn't understand it then. You know, and now as a father myself, and it might not be like music, because all these TikToks and Instagram, all that stuff, there's the same thing. I'll just give you an example. This is one I think we can all relate to, quite frankly, is just how the music industry promotes um, a party lifestyle, right? Now, here's the thing. Do I personally believe that there's like a group of music executives who are like, let's brainwash the kids? Uh, Maybe, probably not, right? But What is actually more insidious to me is that because people want money and wealth, they allow for these worldviews to prosper. You know, I I used to work um, in uh, politics, in the legislature. I've worked for uh, places and people. And what's interesting is that some people don't actually have an ideology. Like some people, like in the news media, just want your dollars. 
They don't really care what you believe. Like uh, the company that owns, or Warner Broadcasting owns CNN and they own One American News. CNN's like this liberal media thing. One American News is pretty conservative. They don't actually care what you believe. They just want you to keep watching for they can get your dollars. It's a pretty good business. Like, I don't know, if you're looking for investment, Warner might be the place to go. But then you'll be part of the world. See, that's a problem there, isn't it? No. But this lifestyle that was uh, perpetuated to us, right, it had a profound impact on me and my friends, actually. And then it, it came all the way into adulthood, you know. And, and I think about it now, especially when you're a young teenager. I don't know if we have any teens in the room or not. It doesn't look like it's just scanning. But um, as parents, we have to think about this, is that our kids are growing up and they're, they're, they're changing and they're having these natural desires for things like sexual pleasure, right? And I think about it back then, just how much the music industry was catering to that. So then when I became an adult, I had to like deprogram so much stuff. And when I talk to friends now, I can see the implications of that, where a lot of people have sexual trauma, sexual confusion, disappointment, it's really profound. You know, a lot of us come together in our marriages or relationships and we have so much baggage because of what we did as teens. Even though our parents are like, hey, don't do that. I told you not to do that. Then we do it. Wouldn't it be awesome if we as parents actually broke that? But it's hard because my mom actually tried a lot to shelter us from that. But friends, other family members, myself, I shouldn't just, like me, wanting those things. But what's even more insidious about this idea of the world is that it goes into the church. And so I'll give you an example, right? Purity culture has been, I guess, uh, what's the word, deconstructed quite a bit. Now, I didn't grow up in the church, so I never experienced what people might call purity culture. But a lot of people who came out of that, Christians who are around my age, a lot of them have some, like, honestly, really uh, bad experiences. Views on sex are messed up. It's not full and it's not complete, right? So I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching teenagers to abstain from sex. That was, that's literally what I was saying here. But I do think when we make such promises as, if you just don't do anything at all, you'll have a great marriage. Okay, that, that's a lie, right? Because marriage is actually really difficult. I've never been married, right? But I've been in relationships, and I know it can be hard to have two people come together. And I just feel so sad for so many Christians my age. This is one of the reasons many of them left the church, because they were disillusioned and disappointed. This can be so many things we talk about, right? It's like the young person who grew up in a very fundamentalist church, was told all these things, half-truths, not the full gospel, go out to a very liberal city like Portland, meet some gay or atheist people. They're not evil people. They're just regular people. And they're like, ah, my faith is done. Why do you think that is? This is where the world gets in because we're not being truthful in the church, that the world is complicated, that things are usually far more complicated than the little bumper sticker pop theology we give, or we just pop off at the mouth of whatever we think God is saying. Systems can also be the things we participate in, like our economic systems around the world. 
This is a lot more bigger idea. One that's a little harder to see the personal power of it, but I'm going to get you guys there. The way our economic systems throughout the world are set up, I think, allow for us to ignore a lot of the evil that goes on, but benefit from it. Environmental destruction, human trafficking, extremely poor working conditions results in the death of people or injury or destruction of families. A lot of our clothing is made in places like Bangladesh, Pakistan, parts of China. And a lot of those conditions are absolutely horrible. Even the iPad I'm speaking on now, it's very likely that the silicone or the metal or the glass was made from either slavery or poor working conditions. And this is sort of a rebuke of the church here. So I try to be nice, but I just never seem to whenever I talk. I don't know why, guys. But, but I, sometimes we hear those terms like environmentalism or economic justice, and we just think of like leftists complaining or like socialists wanting to overthrow capitalism, and we're like, ugh. I just want to say something about that. As Christians, we care about the poor and we care about our planet. Now, do we have to agree with everything someone says on how to get there? We're never going to do that. I mean, if you agreed with me, the world would probably be better because I'm pretty smart. But, but for the rest of you guys, I know it's hard to do that sometimes, right? But I just want to give you an example. Back in 2010, I actually visited China. I spent three weeks there. Really amazing experience. I have a deep love for that country, and it makes me really sad what's going on right now there. But, but during this time, I actually got to visit this city um, that had a factory really close to it. Um, it, and I got to see firsthand sort of the things that we want and the products that we want and the destruction it does to a city. This river, completely polluted. I've never seen anything like it. The town was so corrupt, there was just crime rampant. It was really unsafe to be there, and I'm kind of surprised they sent us there. <laughs> I guess because we were over 18, no liability issues. It's like, ah, if you get murdered, yeah. You know? Open prostitution, just out in the open. I've never seen it like that before. We have that everywhere, even in this country. But just blatantly, you can just walk into any place and just, oh, you want, you want to participate in actual sexual, sex trafficking? Here you go. I think part of this is because the people in charge don't care because their ideology is money and power. We actually got, this is crazy. I met the guy who owns the factory. He invited us for karaoke and beers. It's a very strange story if you want to hear later about it. Um, and I was sitting there thinking of how like, weird this was. As these guys were singing karaoke and enjoying the good life, I'm just right outside is extreme poverty. But like, that kind of sounds like us sometimes. Participating in the world. The world, it teases us with lies that it can provide everything we need. But in fact, it can lead to our destruction. The flesh. What is the flesh? That's an interesting term the Bible uses. I'm going to read chapter, excuse me, I'm going to read Romans chapter 7, 14 through 17. If you guys want to get your Bibles out there. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans church. 
sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. While I agree with the law that it is good, so it's not longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. This idea of flesh is pretty simple. I think most of us understand personal sin. You might be saying, though, James, how does sin and the flesh lie to us? Um, I think biblical scholar Frank Gibeon says this best in his uh, biblical commentary on Romans 8. It says, sin is like a house invader that makes home in us. Sin has the ability not just to become an action, but actually a world view. Changing our actions to what pleases God, to what does not please God. And it's easy to lie to ourselves to keep sinning. It's something we all do. I'm sure we all have examples in our lives of us, of us doing anything to justify our behaviors. I'll just give you some, some examples that things people might say. I know my marriage isn't working. We, we lost our love. Divorce is the right way to go. Mm. Does that sound biblical? Not, not, not to me. Or, or maybe, I should, maybe I should go out with this guy. I know I'm like already married, but coffee can't hurt. He just flirts with everyone. Uh, I wouldn't do that if I was you, but okay. <laughs> right? I know you guys catch on to this flesh idea very easily because it's something we all have to deal with. But the problem is what's even more dangerous with the flesh is how it connects to the world, Right? And it can be in such little insidious things. Like, we've all at nauseum talked about how Disney has impacted our view on love and romance. We all know this idea how it teaches people, you know, that, you know, you, you just find someone and it just works out, right? And that love is this feeling and all those things there. But we know, in fact, that love is more than a feeling, that life is far more complicated. But if we even take something so simple as a worldview, like the side of like a soulmate, or that love is just love, or that um, love is just emotion, you might think it doesn't do anything, but it actually, once again, leads to your destruction. But I want to focus on the big one next, because I think we all get the idea of the flesh really well. What I want to talk about, spend a little more time on, is this idea of the devil. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're talking about the devil. (laughs) Oh, man, why aren't you guys, like, on it? Like, just, oh, man. We're all going to visit a black church next Sunday. right, Matt? That's just it. I I just, y'all got to do it a little better, man. All right. Now, the devil, for many of us, kind of feels not like a real thing or that he's super powerful and like controls the entire world both of these are not very good way of viewing what the idea of who satan is and the rebellious demons that work with him this idea of the rebellious elohim And for those not familiar with that, just the spiritual creatures who rebelled against the Lord. The devil, for a lot of us, just feels archaic. 
and kind of strange, right? Especially as Westerners, we're way more influenced by the Enlightenment and by secularism than a Christian worldview. Many of us can't really relate to this idea like our ancestors did that the world is spiritual. We separate the two. We're not mystics, right? We, we are people who are completely enveloped in a modern Western worldview. And when you have this idea, this idea of demons and the devil, even though like theologically we believe it's real, feels, even to me personally, kind of out there at times. But that's not how Jesus saw it. And I think if we want to get our view from anything, we should get it from the Lord himself. And so, so many of us have so many interesting ideas. And I just want to say this, you know, uh, if your idea that the devil is all-powerful or that demons are hiding behind every rock, um, behind my iPad, maybe, I don't know if this has been blessed or not, but then you're not really there. And if you think that when we read the story of Satan that it's just like a representation of evil, um, then you're also not really understanding. Satan's actually this as an actual person, like an actual creature, an actual thing. So we're going to go to uh, John chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 42 through 44. And just for some context here, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. And if you haven't read John chapter 8, um, I highly suggest you do for more context. But basically, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's doing what Jesus does. He's just, you know, making a mockery of them. So I'm going to go ahead and read. It says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies. When Jesus confronts these religious leaders, he's saying, if you do not have me as the one you worship, you are actually children of the devil. And I can't say that every Pharisee, like these were Jewish religious leaders, were bad people. I know sometimes we like do that in our mind. That's, no, these people just didn't understand who God truly was. So they became children of Satan. And for all those who don't believe in Jesus, I don't know what else to say, but according to our Lord, you are literally antichrist. When I say antichrist, I don't mean like the guy in Revelation, depending on your end times theology. I don't mean the man of sin that Revelation and Thessalonians speak of. I literally mean that you are just against God himself. I'm going to read part of Genesis 3 to kind of really explain this more. But as we pull our Bibles up today, I want you guys to think of 1 Peter 5, 8 that says, be alert and of sober mind. We're always talking about the mind here, the mind, the mind, the mind. Your enemy is the devil prowls around like a lion looking for to, uh, someone to devour. I can't wait till I hear Matt preach on 
that section of Peter. Because the devil sucks, bro. Like, he, he wants to destroy you, right? So I'm going to pull up. I forgot my Bible today. I really wanted to get extra preachery with the Bible and have it in hand, but my phone works, you know. All right, so we're going to read through here. Now, this is Genesis 3. We're going to talk about the fall. And you guys are going to see something very interesting there on how the devil actually operates. Now, the serpent, which many have interpreted to be Satan, the adversary, the Satan, whatever this creature is, was more crafty than any other beast of the field and the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, as we know Eve, did God actually say to you, shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was made to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree in which I commanded you not to eat? And the woman said, oh, excuse me, the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Ooh, gosh. So there's a lot there, right? One of the things I noticed when we talk about spiritual warfare is sort of this idea that a demon might be possessing someone or what's called oppression, whatever your theological term is. I, I don't really have a, like a huge opinion on it. But this idea of people being demonized is sort of this thing where someone takes someone over and they make them do a bunch of stuff. What's interesting here is Satan doesn't do that. He doesn't like possess or oppress Eve. He doesn't like force her. He doesn't take his tail and then grab the fruit and then put it in her mouth. He doesn't coerce her. He doesn't, he doesn't force her in any way at all. He simply makes her question reality. And this little lie changed the way that their relationship with God worked. Because of this lie, he created mistrust between Adam and Eve. The woman you gave me. What? 
Bro, you, that was your bone of your bone, flesh and flesh, just the previous chapter. They were ashamed of their nakedness. Now, I always imagine Adam and Eve just to be really hot, to be honest, right? I don't know about anyone else. I guess I'm the only one. That's fine. Um, but I imagine <laughs> that they're just really good looking. Why would they be ashamed to be naked, right? I don't know. Maybe they had a little pudge or something. You know, I don't know. I don't know if people were doing like CrossFit back then. But that's interesting. They were ashamed of not just their nakedness of God and the vulnerability they had with our Lord, but it caused a division themselves. They looked at each other for the first time and were like, oh, you're different than me? It was no longer like, this is my person. There was immediate separation. They wanted to be like God, but instead all they did was become further away from God. They were ashamed of their sin, and they were scared. So when the Lord walked in their presence, they ran. How many of us do that? They were living a fear of God, wondering what was going to happen to them. Even though God called them good and loved his creation. But they could no longer see that. They were blinded to it. How profound is that? Not just profound, how frightening is that? I think of so many times where I've made mistakes and how I felt very separated from God or the people around me. Even though the Lord declared I was his son. But when I was not with God, I felt no shame. Interesting, isn't it? What's so destructive about this? Because I expect people who aren't Christians to not feel shame. To who cares if you're away from God when you don't even believe in a God? But when you do believe in God and you are ashamed, then it makes it like you don't even know that there's a God who exists. They blamed each other. They did not take accountability. That's what Satan wants from you. He wants you to feel so separated from God that everything you do, there's no coming back. It's not what the gospel says. That's not who God is. <laughs> because if we had a God like that, he could have just got rid of Adam and Eve like that. He gives us so many chances. He does, he is very patient, our Lord. That doesn't mean go out, leave here and wild out, okay? I'm just, <laughs> but he does, he does love you. So now we have an understanding of the world of flesh and the devil. We, we got those concepts down, right? Down, right? Okay. Come on, guys. You got it? Got to do this back, right? So we have this understanding of the world, the flesh, the devil. The world is the systems that operate. The flesh is the thing within us. And the devil and his demons are personal creatures that actually wish to destroy you. But, okay, you have all this knowledge. What next? What do you do with this? What do you do with theology if, there's, if you don't have a way to actually use it? Right? I mean, I guess I could talk on stage for 40 minutes. But, but what else do we need with that? I'm, I'm going to give you guys some practical tips on how to fight these lies. And we're going to use the perfect example, Jesus. 
We're going to look at what Jesus did because I think that's the only way to understand. So Jesus, after getting baptized, what's the thing he goes to? Where's the next step he does after that? He goes into the wilderness, right? He, he starts practicing what many of us call the spiritual disciplines. Now, for those who don't know what the spiritual disciplines are, there are the, there's these ideas. You, you probably do them all the time and maybe just have a word from fasting, prayer, silence and solitude, scripture reading, worship. There's more depending on your church tradition. Some say simple living, things of that nature. But I, I sort of like that short list of just like prayer, fasting, solitude, scripture reading, worship. That's like really easy to remember, and we all do that to a certain extent, or, or many of us do. Jesus in the wilderness there is doing all of it, you know, right? He, he's fasting for 40 days, which uh, that's a crazy diet plan, man. Um, he is praying to the Father. He is one. The Spirit is leading him. Jesus is showing what it means to live in the Spirit, to be obedient, right, to the Father, um, even though he is God himself, and the Holy Spirit is God himself, right? It, but it's an example of what that looks like as disciples. And I don't know about Shaw, but when I'm hungry, I don't feel super strong personally. I feel kind of weak. When I'm tired, I don't feel like I'm on it, right? And, and sometimes even being alone, I feel like can be a real distraction for me, um, you know, instead, it no longer becomes solitude. It, become, it can become loneliness for a lot of people. But, but our Lord does it so well. So when Satan comes and approaches him, he's not at his weakest. He's actually at his strongest. What is up with that? Because, bro, if Satan came to me and I was fasting 40 days, I'd be like, look, bro, <laughs> I can't do this today. Like, yeah, come back. But as Jesus was preparing for his ministry, right, as he's fasting and praying, when Satan comes and he literally offers him the world, he doesn't have a chance. Satan is defeated like that. There's nothing he can do because he's empowered by the Spirit. We, we, we talk a lot about what it means to live in the Spirit, right? And, and once again, depending on your church tradition, that can mean a lot of different things. But I have a very simple idea of this. It is simply being obedient to God, a life of prayer, a life of community, and just asking God to lead you where to go, and then being in the Word. That's what we say a lot about a text-driven people. Because I honestly believe this. When we are not grounded in Scripture, we can go off to a lot of different things. And yeah, we're going to have different interpretations, different ways of viewing church history, all these things there. I love those debates. I love those conversations. But I will say this. If you don't have any foundation, you will sink real quick. So when Satan is coming and he's quoting scripture, like Satan knows scripture, not well, because clearly he doesn't, because he doesn't realize he's going to be thrown in hell at the end of this story here. <laughs> yeah. But he, he keeps trying to use scripture what he thinks is the truth to convince jesus but every time jesus is just like telling him the actual scripture and what it says and what it means i really believe if you are not founded in truth guys he will lead you off a cliff really quick or you'll lead yourself off a cliff or the world will lead you either way you're going down like it doesn't matter whatever your metaphor is it's not going to go well for you 
What's another way to fight against the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil is community. You guys are all here. You're in a church. Having good friends, good Christian friends, really matters. Um, you need people who will tell you the truth, right? You need people to remind you. We live in a society where um, that word empathy is sort of like the highest value. And, and I'm a pretty, am I an em empathetic person? Eh, sometimes. I, I won't say I am. But sometimes I can be, right? But, but, but sometimes we will take empathy over truth. We'll rather have someone baby us and tell us it's all okay, but that is not loving. <laughs> Sometimes someone needs to tell us what's going on, right? Because I am one of my biggest deceivers. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, this is, this is funny. This is a little, this, I just thought of this. It's not on the manuscript at all. So as you guys know, I've lost some weight. I look pretty good. But you know what's funny? Y'all didn't tell me I was fat. Right? I didn't know I gained that much weight. Yeah, my, my mom did every time. <laughs> so then when I came to church, like, oh gosh, James, you, got, you look so good. Where were y'all 30, like three months, four months, five, six months ago? I could have got rid of that weight a long time ago. You know, I knew that, I knew it was fitting kind of off, but I was living deceitful. And I'm not going to listen to my mom, quite frankly, about it. So next time y'all see me a little 10 pounds heavier, I expect Matt be like, yo, James, yo, you gone to the gym lately? Yeah, y'all knew. Y'all knew. <laughs> but that's my point. <laughs> you just take that section, <laughs> put it on YouTube and see how it does. <laughs> but, when, but when you are having community that is truthful for you, then you don't have to live in these lies. You know, like you don't want someone to not say anything when you're actually doing bad things. It does not help you. Community, prayer, fasting, being in a church, being grounded in scripture. It almost sounds too simple to be true. <laughs> you don't have to do like an incantation. You don't have to always have uh, oil with you, right? These are, you know, and I'm, I'm all about the holy oil. I got some in the crib. Like, I'd be, ask Aaliyah. I'd be like, yo, bam. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't like that. Um, but, but, so I'm all for it, right? Like, I consider myself a charismatic Christian. Like, theologically, I'm all for the gifts of the Spirit. But it's not just speaking in tongues. It's not just prophesying. These are good things. These are good things. But defeating Satan actually is really simple. Be grounded in the truth. These are you going to empower yourselves. These are you going to fight against the enemy. Romans 8 says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you. If we believe that to be true, then how can the enemy defeat us? If God is for us, who can be against us? That doesn't mean that everything's going to work out. It just doesn't. But we have a hope that the enemy's already lost. So I'm going to finish this. Reading this, uh, reading Ephesians 6, we're going to go to chapter 10. Many of you guys know this Bible verse, or this, this section of scripture. Ephesians chapter 6.
Yeah, my, my internet's slow in here too, guys. <laughs> the whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his mist. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up your shield of faith, in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying in all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak." That's what you guys got to do. If you're feeling like you can't remember everything I just said, read Ephesians 6. Be empowered by it. Let God just lead you. Let the Spirit lead you. Be grounded in Scripture. And you'll be able to make it through, even through the hardest of times. It's sometimes hard to when I thought about writing this sermon, I thought about just preaching my testimony or the gospel um, because I think sometimes we don't really understand what the gospel is. It's complex and simple at the same time, and there's so much talk of what is the gospel, what is the gospel. In one way, the gospel is the four gospels, but in a much more real sense, it is that Jesus loves you and died for you because you're sinful and he wants to be in a relationship with you. And that if you believe in him, like really simple, like actually believe in him, that he's going to save you. Yeah. And the word save is to be part of his family, to be sons and daughters who are heirs. We are heirs. We are co-heirs of Christ. And if you forget this, just remember that God loves you. He is your father. And you can see Jesus as our elder brother, the first among many brothers, and then the Holy Spirit, who, in, who indwells all believers. If you believe, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he's the great comforter. That's beautiful. Like, I know a lot, sometimes we don't understand the Trinity, but like, you have a father who loves you, a brother who loves you, and a friend who indwells in you, who is the great comforter. Let us pray. Father, thank you for um, bringing us here together. Um, Lord, we just... Uh, ask that you continue to um, lead us in where you want us to go. Uh, Lord, I just uh, ask that you 
for anyone who doesn't believe or anyone who's not sure or anyone who, who's just having you tug at them, that you take a hold of their heart. There's nothing I can say on this stage that can make anyone see that you're real. But if you are, Lord, avail yourselves to them and to us over and over again so we can remember who you are. Father, you are good. We thank you for dying for us, for coming down and empowering us, and we love you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.